So it was the Sunday before Christmas, and all through Cornerstone, not a single child had forgotten what the wise men had known. For they knew that what was before them the next Sunday was presence and worship on a special Christmas day. So what should the pastor preach on this prologue but a conversation between Zechariah and Gabriel, a dialogue that leaves one of them mute while Elizabeth is a clatter clinging to her baby, anticipating the chatter. So let us begin with what happened before that Bethlehem night on that first Christmas morn. Turn with me to Luke 1. We will be looking at the prophecy of John the Baptist, who will announce the Lamb of God, who has come to take away the sins of the world. Today's verses are going to be 5 through 25 and then 57 through 66. I'm going to break them up. I'm not going to ask you to stand because the passage is so long, so sit back, imagine a cozy fire and a Yule log, and enjoy this Christmas story this morning. Let me turn there in my Bible too. Luke 1, 5 through 25. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn their hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple, and when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. 
And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when this time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Pray with me. Father God, as we look at what might be a familiar passage this morning, may the Christmas story make us marvel and awe at what you have done. Lord, be with us in this place, for without your presence, my words are nothing more than a noisy gong, and this story is nothing more than a good Christmas story. But may we see it for what it is, history, and how it speaks to us in the present. In your son's name I pray, amen. Luke, believe it or not, opens up his birth narrative in the most foreboding way. In the midst of great darkness, mention of Herod to the original audience would not bring the sound of caroling or the taste of Christmas cookies, but the song that would be heard at the mention of Herod would be a funeral dirge, and the taste would be very bitter. You see, Herod was a king of great darkness, but it gets worse. While verse 6 tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous before the Lord, that is in contrast to a culture that is not. While Herod was the king of darkness, he was the king of a people in darkness. For many, after 400 years of silence from any prophets, 400 years of waiting, 400 years of battles and persecution, Many of the nation of Israel had finally given up on Yahweh God, which leads us to our first lesson from the text, and that is, will you wait on the Lord? For much of the Jewish nation, the answer at this time was no. They would take up Greek customs. They would wait for every military messiah after military messiah to overthrow the Romans. They would, for lack of a better term, craft a god in their own image. We know this from the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus spends much of his time correcting what the religious leaders of the days were teaching. They had stopped waiting on the Lord. 400 years is a long time. And if we're honest, many of us wouldn't make it four years, let alone 400. Child of God, is your house built on sand or the rock? If things get bad, when family members pass away, when there is not just suffering, but deep suffering, when there is persecution, when there is trials, when there is unmet dream after unmet dream, will you quietly blow out the candle of faith and in the process blame God for the decision you've made? 
Or will you be like Zechariah and Elizabeth in their day? Zechariah and Elizabeth have much to teach us. Now, first notice that there's clearly a historical echo that is taking place within the text. Maybe you've heard the story before. A righteous man and woman, woman who are advanced in age, living in a dark place, no child to call their own, in a culture where the loss of lineage is a big deal. Have you heard this story before? If you were a Jew, the answer would be an absolute yes. You immediately would think of Abraham and Sarah as you read this passage. It's actually much of the exact same language. The echo is very strong within this text. And both couples trusted the Lord in the midst of great darkness. They believed God would fulfill his promises to the nation of Israel, even when all looked extremely bleak. There was a through line that I want you to grasp hold of throughout this whole story both in Abraham's and in Elizabeth and Zacharias. This is the through line. You see, God orchestrates the light in the midst of the darkness. God orchestrates the light in the midst of the darkness. God never said that this life would be easy or perfect. He actually promises tribulation and suffering for all who would follow Yahweh God. He also promises redemption. And we're going to see that here as the story unfolds. For in the midst of the silence from the prophets, God's light shines forth through two very unlikely people. And he even uses their names to remind us of this. Zechariah means the Lord remembers. And Elizabeth means my God is an oath. If you put the meanings together, it says God remembers his promises. And he is going to bring about his promise in the most unlikely way, with the most unlikely people, to remind his people that he is indeed with him, that he never left, that this Years of silence was the plan from the beginning. That God will use even the darkness that they suffer to bring about a great light. That will fill the whole earth. Think of the call of Zechariah. I want to bring mention of this this morning in the story. In the story, Zechariah is chosen to serve by lot in the temple. Now, we don't cast lots anymore. That's not how your elders make decisions as a church. Because of the large number of priests, this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zechariah to serve at the temple. Again, notice how God orchestrated the light in the darkness. At just the right time, by chance, God calls Zechariah to serve at the temple in this moment. His job will be to light the altar of incense while the prayers of the people outside the temple are lifted to heaven. 
heaven, which is exactly the purpose of the altar of incense. It symbolizes the prayers of the people that are lifted to heaven as the smoke lifts to the, lifts to the sky. And what happens in that moment? An angel appears. Luke 1, 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Brief thought on angels, because I get questions about angels, I feel like, more than I get questions about Jesus. Their appearance seems terrifying. They show up, and their first words tend to be, in most stories, do not be afraid. I think this fear stems from the unknown. I think they look human-ish. At least the messengers of Abraham appeared that way to him. But they're definitely different. When they show up on the scene, people notice that something is different. And I think one of the main reasons that they're different is because they have stood recently in the presence of the glory of God. And the glorious reflection that shines forth through them gives us great fear. Think about it. When we see in Scripture, when, when people are struck by the holiness of God, the response of the humanity in the Bible seems to be fear. We are a people who live in darkness. Angels are a race that regularly interact with the light who is Yahweh God. And the glory of God is so pronounced even here that even though Zechariah can't speak as he leaves the temple, the audience somehow knows that he has seen a vision from heaven. I think that's because in that moment as he leaves the temple, his face is also reflecting the glory off the glory. They know that he has seen an angel. My guess is that there are, the glory is now reflecting in his face. But back to the, how his dialogue plays out between Zechariah and Gabriel. Zechariah is lighting the altar of incense, which again symbolizes the prayer of the people. And Yahweh God sends an angel to tell Zechariah that his prayer has been heard. Notice how he doesn't keep him wondering which prayer he has heard. He immediately tells what specific prayer has been heard. That of a child. As you can imagine, Zechariah responds much like Abraham... There's an echo. How, how can this be? But in doing so, Zechariah reveals his heart. Well, Zechariah was indeed a righteous man who trusts that the promises of God will ultimately be fulfilled. He had stopped believing that the desires of his heart would be met. I think this response reveals that he had stopped praying for a son a long time long time ago. This light had gone out in his heart. And for doubting the words of Gabriel, who is a messenger of God and a representative of Yahweh God, Zechariah is really doubting who? God. For this, Zechariah was made mute. His voice is cast into darkness, but the light will be orchestrated even in that. There's a couple lessons I think we can learn from this, lessons from the temple. Imagine with me, if you will. Feel free to close your eyes if that helps you imagine here. Just make sure to wake up at the end of it. Imagine with me, if you will, a room full of unlit candles. 
you walk around holding a single candle that will help you light the others. The candles in the room represent the many prayers you have made before the Lord at different seasons of life and the many promises of God that you cling to that are found in the scriptures. This room represents the very heart of your prayer closet. And you go to the far side of the room to light a candle. And you pause and consider and decide. No, I will not light this one anymore. This prayer to God is too hard to offer. This candle the Lord has clearly snuffed out. It must be impossible to be lit. So you move away. You turn your back on a candle that was your heart's desire. And you go to light the candles of the promises of God that are found in Scripture. The promised Messiah, the nation of Israel returning to their God. Redemption. You can light those, for God's words and Scripture are always true. And as you move towards those candles, you notice that there is suddenly light from behind you. The candle you have chosen not to lit has somehow been lit on its own. You are amazed. And then suddenly, all the candles in the room light up fiercely. There is great awe and wonder in this moment. What is happening? What will happen? What does it mean? And then all the lights go out, except for the one candle that you initially abandon, the prayer you never thought would be answered. Even the candle in your hand is now out. So you drop that one. You approach the greatest desire of your heart represented in the candle now lit. And with it, you light all the other candles in the room. This is the heart of Zechariah throughout this text today. For by the desires of his heart, a child will come about the desires of Yahweh's heart, a people. The angel Gabriel speaks to this. This is what Gabriel said in Luke 1, 14 and 17. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine and strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of his children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So with that analogy in mind, with this text in mind, we can take some clear lessons from the temple. First is this, it's the through line that I mentioned earlier. God indeed orchestrates the light in the midst of the darkness. He is the one who brings about all things. And he orchestrates them for our good. 
even when it don't feel good in the moment. The deep sadness that Zechariah and Elizabeth felt all those years is not ignored. It is indeed met by a greater promise. The next lesson. We can trust the promises of God. The text is not saying all the desires of your heart will be actualized. What it is saying is that God's answer to them, whether yes or no, will be used for his glory and your good. As you come across promises of God within Scripture, as you study the Scriptures on your own, highlight these promises, star these promises, underline these promises, memorize these promises. It's one of my favorite features of the Riches in Christ book that Pastor Jack has written. It's a great memorization system, and they're all promises of God, and they're good. They are candles that do not grow cold. They are light in the midst of the darkness. Hold fast to the promises of God. Third, definitely one we should hold fast to, we should believe the messenger. For Zechariah, it was Gabriel who spoke of promises fulfilled. For the nation of Israel, it would be this baby, John the Baptist, who spoke of the promised one. For the nations of the world, it's Jesus who fulfilled those promises that both Zechariah knows of in the Old Testament Scriptures and John so boldly proclaims. And for you and me, it is the Scriptures which speak of all that have come to pass and all that will come to pass. They each speak with the authority of God. Do you treasure the messenger? Do you see how they all point to Jesus? I would encourage you this week to read the scriptures, specifically the passages in Matthew and Luke of promises fulfilled. It will prepare your heart to enjoy Christmas even more. Be in the word this week. Hold fast to it. And may the promises cause you not to be mute, but may the promises have you proclaim the good news, as we'll see with John later on. Let's jump ahead in the text. Luke 1, 57 through 66. Jump ahead. If you could help. There we go. A little bit back. One more back. Yep. If you could help on this one, that'd be great. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives are called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his, Zechariah's mouth, was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. 
And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. We see here promises fulfilled. Already we see Gabriel's promises coming to pass. Not only did Elizabeth receive a child, her neighbors and relatives rejoiced as the angel said they would. Now everyone wonders what, what the name of the child will be. The assumption, of course, is that we're going to call him Zechariah like his dad. But somehow, Zechariah had written out that his name would be John. Well, then we have to ask the question, what's in the name? Well, a lot. We've already seen how God has orchestrated from the beginning of time the names of Zechariah and Elizabeth to fit a specific story and moment within a point in history. To remind the nation of Israel of the promises of God. And now God has given these new parents the name they are supposed to give their child. Why is this important? Throughout the Bible, names are often used to describe people's personalities, right? Jesus called Simon, Petros, meaning stone or rock. Abram was renamed Abraham. Jacob wrestled with God and was renamed Israel. Saul later became Paul. In one commentary, it says this, there is particular significance to the giving of names. Remember that when God created Adam and Eve, one of the first tasks he gave Adam was to name the animals. It was a symbolic gesture expressing the authority God gave him, Adam, over all creatures. Similarly, in Israel, the act of naming a child was a demonstration of parental authority over the child. But in a few isolated incidents, God reserved that right for himself. On those rare occasions, God said, I will name the child because this child is under my authority and related to me in an extraordinary way. So by Yahweh God claiming the name of the child, he is saying in that moment, the child is mine. And when Zechariah had declared this truth on a tablet, by repeating the words of the messenger, his mouth was loosed, and his tongue was immediately filled with what? Praise to God. And his name was John. What does John mean? John means Yahweh has been gracious. For this is the message that this man will proclaim to the nation of Israel. Even though they had forgotten God. Even though they had snuffed out their faith. Even though they had neglected the promises, God said, I am with you. I am coming. My grace is sufficient for you. You are a people who don't deserve redemption, but in my great love, that is exactly what I am offering to you. Light in the darkness. And at just an hour as this, light will fill your heart if you know me. John the Baptist, just by his reputation, will proclaim to the world as he points to the gracious one, Jesus. Further, as Gabriel pointed out earlier, he will come with the spirit and power of Elijah. What does Elijah mean? Yahweh is my God. Together, 
These names proclaim this. Yahweh is my God of grace. Is he your God of grace? This is why John the Baptist would later proclaim in John 1, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Such grace to a people in darkness. So we can take some lessons before Christmas as we consider this text. The first is this. Consider the particulars of the Christmas story. Think about it. God arranged all of it. From the naming of the characters to the barrenness of Elizabeth, from the prayer neglected to the prayer heard, from the darkness and the silence that Israel experienced to the light bursting forward in the darkness, God was at work in this story from the beginning. And if that is the case, then we can hold fast to the knowledge that God was at work at your story from the beginning. I know for many of you the Christmas season is a season like the nation of Israel was experiencing. Broken dreams, empty chairs, disappointments. Cling to the promises of God. Romans 8.28 is one that I cling to fiercely. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. If If you are in Christ... He is working on your redemption story as well. And while that peace might not be found on this side of heaven, it is promised in heaven for all eternity. Cling tightly to that promise. Second lesson for Christmas. Consider this God of promises of grace. Consider this God of promises and grace. If you are here today and and you do not know this Jesus, you are called by him to stop living in darkness, Uh, to turn from the darkness of this world and walk in the light. He offers the best gift of Christmas, namely a relationship with him. For with him, as we just read, no matter what comes in this world, we know that it too can be used for good. That darkness can make much of light. That peace can be found at the end of suffering. Turn from sin, for Jesus will wash you clean. And believe in the one who saves. This Jesus whom the Christmas season is all about. If you want to know more about the light of the world, the Savior of the world, please talk to me or Pastor Jack after service. If you're here today and you know this Jesus and you know the promises and the grace of God, may they not grow stale this Christmas. Take time. Be thankful for the many gifts that God has given you in this life. Thank God for the time we have gotten to spend with family here and now gone for the desires of our heart that he has indeed met, for the health you now have, for the hope that is promised to you in a redeemed eternity. 
And may we not forget that it has culminated in God becoming a man. Emmanuel. To be with us. To offer us a way to be with God. For the joy of the Lord is set before us. The Lamb of God has come. And he has taken away the sin of the world. Bow your heads to me. Father God, as we anticipate Christmas, may we anticipate it as John the Baptist did, knowing full well that the promise is of God will indeed be met, knowing full well that in the midst of the darkness light can come forth, knowing full well that many times God indeed does light unlit candles. And sometimes offers us light and candles we wouldn't have been wise enough to light to begin with. (laughs) He he, He always offers us better things, even if those things are hard things. And so, Lord, may we anticipate the Christmas season as we reflect on the life of John the Baptist. And may we see that we indeed serve a God who is gracious to us, who seeks us out when we didn't deserve to be. May we hold fast to the hope of Jesus this Christmas. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Merry Christmas. This is Pastor A.J. Swanson, and you are listening to the Christmas sermons of Hicksville Cornerstone Church. I hope they encourage you this Christmas season. God bless.